1: The timeline is a Blue Wire podcast. Chris Paul avanzando, esperando que sea el último tiro. El que le den la marca es de el señor Clever. Larga
2: distancia de Bunker. ¡La metió de tres! ¡La metió de tres! ¡Ah!
1: Welcome to the Timeline of Phoenix Suns Podcast. Back after a bit of a break for us, we had a little bit of a a chance to uh, let people listen to our last episode. Thank you for everyone who listened to that. My name is Mike. I'm here with Sam, as always. Sam, how are you doing? Great. We came back at a perfect time, I think. Um, Yeah. A
3: six-point win over the Cleveland Cavaliers that was as exciting as it was confounding. And I was joking with you before we hit record here that you know a couple of calls go a different way or a couple of shots don't fall, and the tone with which we'd be talking about this game would be different. <laughs> it would be a lot yeah. different. Um, but you take the win. You're 14 and
1: nine, and the Suns have won six of their last seven, so all is good. Mm-hmm.
3: All is good right yeah. now. Yeah.
1: Five and one since our last uh, since our last podcast episode that we recorded with Kevin O'Connor, uh, and a really interesting game tonight against the Cleveland Cap. Cavaliers and a new starting lineup, which I guess is uh, temporary. I assume with Frank Kaminsky in the starting lineup. we for those listening. We're recording this immediately after the Cleveland game, and the Suns won that one against the tough team without Chris Paul. No news yet as far as the severity of Chris Paul's injury. All we know is that he had a bit of a hamstring uh, thing. I'm hoping, and you know, this is a hopeful thing that it's just a, look, second night of a back-to-back, let's give Chris Paul a night off. It's against the Cleveland Cavaliers. Let's try and get Devin Booker off a little bit here and give Chris Paul a night off. I have no evidence that that's actually true. It's just my hopeful attitude about it. But what do you think of this Cleveland game?
3: Uh, it's confounding. Again, I, I use that word a second time, but I think it's, it's a weird game, Mike, because it raised more questions than it answered. Uh, I went into this game feeling pretty comfortable about the sun's defense for the first time in, in 10 years or whatever uh you know we we've talked about how the suns have held on to a top five defensive rating this entire season and is it real is it not real going into this game you know it, it, it's starting to feel increasingly like it's real um and on the flip side without chris paul where were you going to generate your offense he's been the guy to steady your offense this entire season slow things down um and then everything just flipped you know, the offense was amazing. The Suns scored 119 points. Uh, they shot 52% from the field, 46 from deep. And the defense, I mean, they couldn't get a stop uh, against uh, a Cleveland Cavaliers team that really, they do have a decent amount of wins. They have 10 wins this season, but one of the worst teams in the NBA, we can just say it. So um, yeah, it was, it was really confusing, um, but still good to take the win.
1: Yeah, I think it shows how important I think Chris Paul has almost gone under the radar with how good his defense has been uh, for the Suns, but it was it was kind of a perfect matchup for the other team to go off because Cleveland has two really good guards, and those two guards were being defended by Etwan Moore in his 30s, late in his career, never really a good defender, and Devin Booker, also never really a good defender, better this season, but still a guy that you can get some shots off against, and uh, that led to, and you know, McHalebridge is also guarding Colin Sexton, there was guys mixed up in there, but I think it, it, it kind of worked out in their favor in that they were able to get beyond that first guy, draw that second defender, get lobs, and shoot those floaters, and that's tough without Chris Paul. Ball. Chris Paul's brilliant defending pick and rolls, Mikhail Bridges is also brilliant, but Colin Sexton just got off, and look, the Suns, Devin Booker's best game of the season, arguably, and Thirty, I believe, thirty-five points, eight assists, five rebounds. I think is what he ended with, something like that. Yeah, really good game for him. It's nice to see him go off, and I think it's it's points to you know his struggle with sharing the ball with Chris Paul a little bit. I think he understood his responsibility going into this game, as did all Suns fans watching. We you know we were talking about it online uh, before the game. A lot of people expected Devin Booker to go off in this game for him to to come through on the other end of that with such a great game obviously vital for the win but also important for the team going forward
3: yeah and on such a variety of of shot making I mean he had contested step back threes I think Devin Booker don't have the stats in front of me but certainly feels like it from the eye test is shooting better on tightly contested threes than he is on the wide open ones this year Um, took Darius Garland uh, to school in the post multiple times in the second half Um, yeah so he, he hit him with everything tonight one thing I do think it's important to debunk here. You're going to get people, the Suns' offense was clicking tonight in a way that we haven't really seen this season. We, we just haven't seen it. And I think it's tempting for people to say, well, Devin Booker was given the reins. They picked up the pace. Um, I'm looking at the stats here. The box score just updated. And I don't know if you're curious about this, Mike, but, but do you want to guess where the Suns' pace was tonight or do you want me to just tell you? I'm going to guess like 100. It was 94 and a half wow slower (laughs) possessions was the pace this was the sixth slowest game according to the pace stat for the suns this season one of their slower games even with devin booker at the helm and i just looked at that and that surprised me because it looked like they were leaking out and getting in transition when it mattered right um but i guess they just did a great job of capitalizing on the few transition opportunities that they got and overall, especially in the fourth quarter, they sort of bogged down and, and played at the same same slow pace as usual. I guess there were a lot of offensive... Here's a question I have. There were a lot of offensive rebounds in this game, particularly for that guy, DeAndre Ayton. Are those... Those must count as fresh possessions, correct? Anytime the shot clock yeah. resets, it's a new possession. So that right, that right there might be some of it, because Cleveland had nine offensive rebounds. Phoenix had 14. So if every time a, a guy hits the glass, that's a new possession... Which, like you're saying, I'm just thinking through it now, but that that must be the case. That would definitely contribute to that a little bit. But even so, not the, not the pick-up-the-pace kind of Phoenix Suns of old that I think a lot of people are assuming that this game was.
1: Yeah, I agree with that. And, well, we should talk about the starting lineup. I know what we're going to do later in this episode, we, after 10 games, Sam and I came onto this podcast, and each of us pulled around five stats, and then we just talked about those stats that we've noticed for the first 10 games. We did that again. So after we're done talking about this game, we're going to bring up a bunch of stats and just kind of go back and forth trading stats and talking about what that makes us think about the Suns so far this season. But we should quickly talk about the new starting lineup. I'm not sure how much longer this is going to be the starting lineup. Jay Crowder, uh, apparently a foot injury. Uh, Chris Paul, obviously. I'm including Chris Paul in the new starting lineup. I think hopefully that's just a temporary thing. He's back. I, I mean, the Bucs game would be nice to get him back against that team, especially with the drop defense that they play. Uh, but Chris Paul, Devin Booker, Mikhail Bridges, Frank Kaminsky, DeAndre, and two bigs. Uh, they've, before today, this is a, a stat from uh, before today, they, they had only played about 37 minutes together, but they have a 112 offensive rating and a 95 defensive rating, which brings them to a 16.3 net rating, which is good. Uh, it, it's more, it, that doesn't matter necessarily to me because that was mainly like Detroit. They, they played well against Detroit, a bad team. You know, if we remember Aaron Baines and DeAndre Ayton killed the Knicks last season and that affected the net rating stats for Baines-Ayton uh, lineup. It's funny how yeah. you
3: remember that one single game. I remember uh, Julius Randle going like, 0 for 12, trying to shoot over DeAndre Ayton in that game.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's a really good matchup for two gigantic guys in the paint for a guy right. who just had tunnel vision in the in the paint. That's all he did. Uh, you know that that game did not mean that that lineup worked, but it did work in that one game. And I think you know you can ar- make that argument for this starting lineup. But I'll be honest, I I haven't hated it as much as I could, and I think a lot of that has to do with Frank Kaminsky's ability to move the ball relatively quickly. But what do you think? Exactly. Well,
3: look, we look at the facts. The statistics tell us a lot of people were angry about this lineup. It hasn't killed them yet. Now, it might kill them in the future. You know, you want to project forward, that's fine. And, and there are very clear things that we know Frank Kaminsky can't do. But it hasn't killed the Suns yet, not in any game. Uh, you just There's no way that you could scapegoat it. Um, and so, I you know, talking about how I feel about this lineup, I think it kind of depends on Monty hasn't exactly given us a very clear explanation for why he's doing it. And that's something that matters to me, because if this is a defensive focus and I I, when I say that, I I know he's not talking about or I know we're not talking about because Frank Kaminsky is a good defensive player. But I'm saying if you're doing it, if you're putting Kaminsky in the starting lineup over Cam Johnson to play big, to match up on teams that are bigger and naturally play bigger. That's a problem to me. And the reason it's a problem is because you want to find your core group of guys. It's one of the very basic things you want to do as a coach. You don't want to adjust your game plan to meet other people's uh, rosters based on the various matchups. You want to find your core group of guys and stick with those guys and not have to make those adjustments in the first place. If, however, on the flip side if this is an offensive adjustment that the Suns are making, and it's purely for offensive reasons, and for exactly the reason you said, Mike, because Frank Kaminsky is 0.5. He's 0.5 personified. He puts the ball on the floor. He flourishes out of that high handoff position. He has a fantastic budding chemistry with guys like Mikhail Bridges, who loves to cut, guys like Devin Booker, who likes to work the ball inside from the post. Um, If it's for all of those reasons, and if it's because, furthermore, you don't really believe that DeAndre Ayton can do the same thing, he just doesn't have the same sort of vision when you when you give him the ball in the post, so you'd rather kind of have him get out of the way, situate himself for the offensive rebound, and let Frank go to work, so to speak, um, then I think it makes a lot of sense. And, and, you know, we know what Frank is on defense. He's a liability for the most part. Um, he ruins your switchability that has made, in general, I think, the Suns such a good defensive team this year. You know, the guards are going to try and attack him. They're going to try and get the switch on him and cook him. But if you can live with that, and definitely the Suns have been for the past few games, I think he makes the offense better. I, I think he just does. And I think it also brings up an interesting question now of Darius Arch theoretically coming back soon. I don't know when. He suffered a setback with a sprained ankle. Um, but, it, you know, yeah. he does a lot of the same things well that that Frank does. So would Monty consider switching it up again and not going with Jay in the starting lineup but going with Dario over Frank, who, who does a lot of the same things but isn't as much... Um, of a turnstile on defense.
1: Yeah. Look, DeAndre Ayton and Cameron Johnson both do a lot of things that Frank Kaminsky cannot do. But what they don't do is pass very well. <laughs> Neither of them are great, especially uh, to cutters. Like you, We've seen it time and time again in these games. Regardless of if he's coming off the bench or starting, Frank Kaminsky finds Mikhail Bridges on the cut, And the way that the Phoenix Suns' offense currently works is generally like a horns position for the bigs. That means they're standing around the free throw line area. And the ball is kind of given to them a lot in that area. With DeAndre Ayton, generally he's setting screens for handoffs, and he's huge, so that's what he should be doing in that area. But when guys are cutting, he can't really find them because it's not his game. Uh, He's also not much of a driver from that position. Frank Kaminsky, what he's willing to do is find guys who are cutting or... If the big reacts too much to the guard that's going around the screen, he's willing to turn around and drive it to the rim. Yep. Those are two things that are pretty valuable in his position. The other thing is he can screen pretty well. It's nice to have guys that can screen. Uh, and the Suns tend to not be beaten by offensive rebounds too often. You, you just brought up the stat. They they out-rebounded a team that started Andre Drummond and Jared Allen in this game. so Super impressive, by the yeah, way. Yeah, very good for them to be able to do that. I don't hate it as much as I thought, and a lot of this has to do with how well Frank Kaminsky has been playing, which we will get to yep. uh, a little bit later. Uh, do you have anything else on this Cavs game?
3: I know. I mean, I just just with what you were talking about, I don't think it should surprise us all that much that Monty, the the guy who, if he's stressed anything else, or if he's stressed anything in his tenure with Phoenix so far, it's point five. That's his thing. Yeah. He's talked about ball movement the entire time. So why, you know, I I know that it's not traditional to play two bigs at once, and again. I get it. I don't think you can survive starting this guy long term. You know, we, this is not going to be Frank Kaminsky. He should not be your starting power forward in a playoff setting. And Jay Crowder is very underrated. Also, you know, I think the other thing you can talk about is how much better Jay Crowder just looks next to Chris Paul and Devin Booker than he does on the bench. Frank Kaminsky can come off in a bench lineup and kind of yeah. anchor things in a way that Jay Crowder can't. So that's, that's worthwhile to talk Johnson, about, too. too. I yeah.
1: think I think this had as much to do about getting Cameron Johnson back on the bench as it did Frank Kaminsky in the sure. starting lineup. Cameron sure. Johnson's looked better off the bench, struggling still shooting, but I think he can still hit shots when it counts, as he showed sure. tonight. So,
3: but but the overall point I just want to make is ball movement has always been the most important thing to Monty Williams that I can tell based on his interviews to the media. So why are we so shocked that he's going to do whatever he absolutely whatever he can to put his best playmakers. Uh, in in his opening and closing units. It's just, it makes sense. It makes sense. And there are flaws with it, but it's working so far.
1: You know, it's kind of funny now thinking about this. I don't know if you remember this, but when the Kings cut Frank Kaminsky, (laughs) I I messaged you and I said, I don't hate the idea of Frank Kaminsky on the Suns, but I feel like as soon as we sign him, we're going to be cursed to have to start him (laughs) at some point of his tenure on the Suns this year, and I said that as a bad thing, and look at us now. Well, let's, and we're going to talk
3: even we're going to talk even more about them later, so let's save it a little bit.
1: Yeah, let's get to it. So what we did is both of us, independent of each other, pulled five or six stats. I pulled six. I'm sure you pulled five. Uh, I just... I think I have four. I, yeah. It's okay. <laughs> yeah. We pulled enough to, to cover this episode, and last time we did this was after 10 games, and uh, we had a guest on that episode. I think it was Jackson Frank, and... Uh, we wanted to do this again because we got a lot out of it, and I think it's actually an interesting way to look at it. Instead of, uh, <laughs> to me, I thought of it as, instead of uh, finding an excuse to make a topic to bring up a stat, we're just using the stat as an excuse to talk about a topic, which I think is a good way to look at this for us. Um, we like stats. We're a podcast that enjoys stats, and uh, let's talk about them. So we, like have- to, we like to get
3: into the stats, though. We don't just read. I, I like to think, at least. No. That- where hopefully all, you're getting more out of it than us just reading numbers off a, off a page as if we're calculators. I like to think we do an okay job of, of actually explaining what they mean, but we'll put that to the test in this episode, and you can be the judge of that, I guess.
1: Yeah, th- these stats are more of an excuse to talk about something that we've been wanting to talk about than anything else, and hopefully it either helps to illustrate it or, or gives us something to talk about how it doesn't matter. So uh, I'll start. The first one I have is important. The first 10 games uh, on off stats, Chris Paul and Devin Booker sharing the floor together. The first 10 games of the season, they were minus 28. Meaning, the Suns were outscored with Chris Paul and Devin Booker on the floor for the first 10 games of the season. In the eight games since that they've played on the court, they are plus 18. We talked about this when we first... Uh, had our episode after those first 10 games. It was a concern, and it was a minor concern because we talked about it as in we both believed that it would get better as the season went along. Well, it's starting to look a little bit better. I would say that the chemistry between Chris Paul and Devin Booker is starting to get it's starting to mesh a little better. And I don't think it has anything to do with the starting lineup change which happened around that time switching in Cameron Johnson for Jay Crowder. I think it more has to do with those two guys understanding what each other are going to do when they catch the ball in certain spots. What do you think about this stat? It's, I mean, it's great. And
3: I forget exactly how I phrased it, but I, I think a few weeks ago when we were talking about it, I was saying, are we just trying to explain the unexplainable or, or, or something like that? Yeah. It was yeah. always going to regress somewhat. That was very clearly the floor <laughs> for these two. We knew that these were two far too talented players to continue to play at such a level. And, and sure enough, you know what happened since then is Devin Booker missed a few games. It's great yeah. that they're playing well together. But Devin Booker missed a few games, and that forced Chris Paul to kick into gear and, and get himself going. Because Chris yeah. Paul was at a point in the first 10 games, he just wasn't making shots. And then he got into that stretch. I forget exactly which games it was, but it was it was like you know the Denver back to back and the couple games after there. Um, the game where he had thirty four nine and nine, obviously, but a couple other games where he was just getting twenty plus points, ten plus assists, looking like the Chris Paul of old. And sure enough, I'm looking at the stats here. Chris Paul, who was had a putrid shooting percentage in isolation situations on that episode we yeah, did a few was weeks one of ago stats. yep, he's up to 59th percentile in iso for the season so not just the past 10 games but taking into account his awful starts of the season as well he's just you know he's back to being the automatic guy from yeah. that right uh elbow kind of corner shot and and that's great for the suns because that's exactly what they're building their offense around and and they need that out of him in order to go far in the playoffs it's nice to get the supplemental performances it's nice you you know it's nice uh Mikael Bridges got another 20 points tonight that was great it's nice when Cam Johnson hits his shots it's nice when Jay Crowder hits his shots all that but if Chris Paul is not doing Chris Paul stuff this team just doesn't go very far so uh I, I think it's great evidence that that him in particular is a guy who woke up over the past 10 games Booker has had his moments too but uh but Chris Paul especially I think has been the best player in the Suns now uh, this season, I'm prepared to say that.
1: Yeah, I I don't think that's can that really can be argued. There's just when you brought up the isolation stat alone, I guarantee people listening to this podcast can just picture a bu- a bunch of those uh, shots that he's made because there's been a lot of really impressive ones that he's made in in isolation. There were games where it was all we can get offensively, where we needed him to do it, and he did it over and over again. And I actually do have a specific stat about that too that I'm going to bring up in a little bit but I think a lot of it has to do with just the two guys and I don't you know I'll give credit to Monty too because credit credit can go to the coach in scenarios like this too Uh, but uh, Chris Paul's not Ricky Rubio he's Ricky Rubio was willing to shoot on the catch and shoot Chris Paul isn't and that means that not only does Chris Paul need to understand when to shoot that a little bit more? But also Devin Booker needs to understand what happens when he passes to Chris Paul uh, in that scenario, and you know, vice versa. Devin Booker likes to get the ball in certain areas. Chris Paul started to understand that. I think a few different plays were added in. There was a little pitch play that you posted a clip of on Twitter uh, where they were getting some layups at the rim, and those types of adjustments I think mattered a lot. And and you know, just hitting shots that he normally make also matters and I think there was some of that there uh too but uh, what's your what's your first stat
3: uh I didn't order them let me figure out what my first stat is let's start with DeAndre Ayton I think okay. this would be a good time to to shoehorn him into the conversation so DeAndre Ayton the first 11 games of the season he's played 23 games now so I'm going to frame it as like a first half second half his first 11 games of the season he averaged 2.9 offensive rebounds per game it's pretty good is uh, 12 games since then that includes the stat tonight since it updated. 4.8 offensive rebounds per game. And for some context there, Clint Capella currently leads the league uh, with four exactly that, 4.8 offensive rebounds per game. Um, it's our friend David Nash a couple weeks ago who said, uh, you watch DeAndre Ayton closely under a microscope, and you can just tell that the games where he comes out with, you're not necessarily forcing stuff to him. N- not that, you know, sometimes they get points forcing stuff to him. But for the most part, the games where he comes out in the first quarter, two or three early offensive rebounds, it sets the tone for everything else. And, and you yeah. can just watch it open yeah. up the rest of his game. And and if DeAndre Aiden comes out with that motor and that energy and he has a couple of early offensive rebounds, he's going to have a good night. And increasingly, we're seeing that over the past 10 games. He has gone from a guy who we've always known has the talent to be one of the best offensive rebounders in the league and has been one of the best uh but the way he's playing right now over the past 10 games um he he looks like he is the best and and especially i loved him giving drummond a taste of his own medicine tonight eight offensive rebounds against andre drummond are you kidding me like that's that's amazing that's that's fantastic uh even in a game where devin booker had 36 and 8 and mikhail bridges looked amazing you know we still need to reserve some time for talking about just mm-hmm. how critical that was of DeAndre Ayton saving all those uh, those second chance points and extra possessions for the Suns because they wouldn't have won without it. So yeah, yeah I, I want to give him some respect for that. Offensive rebounding is one of those funny things where people don't really uh, people take it for granted. Frankly, I, I mean they don't realize what they have until it's gone. And until one season you're starting T.J. Warren and Alex Len next to each other and you can't you know you can't grab a rebound to save your life and how far the Suns have come from just a couple of years ago where they were routinely out-rebounded by other teams by by 10 or 15 boards a night um, is really impressive, and and it's all thanks to to D.A., just as long as he comes out
1: with that energy um,
3: and that engagement.
1: Yeah, I think two things have led to that. I think in the last few games, I feel like they have found the right role for DeAndre Ayton where it's not necessarily... Uh, giving him the ball on the post over and over and over again. Because DeAndre Ayton can score 20 points without doing that. It's it, He's he's very capable of doing that. That means rolling hard, getting offensive rebounds, I think it's a huge part of that because he can put it back up. He's also done a good job of finding shooters on those offensive rebounds if there's two guys surrounding him, which is important. There's obviously a balance there. Find the right time to go up for the shot. Find the right time to pass it. That comes over time. I'm not worried about that at all. There has to be more of an effort to for him to look at those offensive rebounds, and that's coaching. A big part of how the Suns were playing early this season was stopping transition, the other team's transition offense at all costs. And that means not a lot of offensive rebounds. There's, there's a balance there. That means he's running back to play transition defense. Very, very important. Uh, but he's so good at offensive rebounding, it seems like they've changed that focus a little bit in that they're making sure that he is able to do one of his best skills uh, by allowing him to find the right time to attack on the offensive boards and find the right time to run back in transition. It takes other guys to help, and I've noticed it a few times in this game. Uh, it's it's a little harder for a guy like Cameron Johnson when DeAndre Ayton's fighting for that offensive rebound and say another, like today, there's two centers on the court for the Cavs, another yeah. center's running down the court. Somebody else has to help out under that rim maybe two guys to make sure that you can't capitalize there. And I, I thought they did a really good job of that tonight. As bad as the defense looked in stretches, uh, it takes other guys to help out to make sure that that works. Absolutely. Uh, the other thing is I don't think they're running as much for him, uh, which is good. It, it, I think in a lot of cases, because you know, a lot of the Suns plays have options that include Deandre and rolling to the rim. That means get him the ball and, If he's open, but if he's not, if it opens up a shooter, give it to that shooter. If it opens up a mid-range shot for Devin Booker, he's going to take it. You know, there needs to be options all over the court. That's .5. It's not necessarily focusing on one specific option over and over and over again until maybe the shot clock's winding down. And that means he's got to fight a little bit for points, and I think that's actually good for him. He's near the rim a lot more. He's not necessarily fighting for post position as much as he was in, say, the first 10, 15 games in the last few I think it's more been about him in that dunker spot and finding ways to get the offensive rebound. So I think those are the two things that led to that. What do you think?
3: Yeah, I I agree with all of that. And again, like when I talk about uh, the aggression on the glass seeping into other areas of his game, tonight's the perfect example of it because you had trees in there defending him. Jarrett Allen... And Andre Drummond, for DeAndre Ayton to be as aggressive as he was in finding lob opportunities with Devin Booker when, let's be honest, Mike, like we've watched these guys, we've watched every minute they've played together this season, it has not always seemed like Devin Booker has had a ton of faith in DeAndre Ayton when he has a lob. Like he he could throw lobs to DeAndre Ayton much more often than he does. There's a reason for that. Some of it is, is Aiton's fault, some of it is Booker's fault. And, and you yeah. know, I'm not here to lay all the blame on either party, but we just know it is what it is. Chris Paul seems, at this point in the season, much more likely to throw a lob to De'Andre Aiden than Devin Booker. So for Booker to go out tonight, and you've got Jared Allen and Andre Drummond, two giants patrolling the paint, to feel confident enough to reward his big man to throw up those passes. It helps that they were good passes tonight. They're not always good passes. Um it was it was it was awesome to see that as well. Um you know, it's just his teammates rewarding DA for the effort on the glass and and it really seeps into other areas of his game and and makes the Suns better in several different ways.
1: Yeah, even the sort of there was one or two lobs that he couldn't quite land that were too high probably. But the fact that they weren't bounce passes which Deandre and has struggled with this season. Yeah is smart. That's, get him the ball up high. He can catch it even if he um, doesn't finish the lob, he can come back down with it, find another guy, go back up. There's other ways to score.
3: I'm glad you mentioned it cuz you know, I, if other people haven't seen it just watch for it. We're not even picking on him, but with most big men, especially DeAndre though, you got to throw it up high. Um, we've yeah. seen it again and again this season. They try to throw bounce passes at his feet. EJ used to complain about this with Alex Len he still, too. So, he still does, so you know, yeah. it's not just it's not just me picking on DA necessarily. It's it's a lot of centers, but definitely DA. He can he can't always bend over and go get it's it. It's huge. It's, yeah, it's, it's, it's not hard. easy. It's not <laughs> easy.
0: You know, we're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed.
3: I yeah. certainly don't have that perspective. I'm, you know, Tyler Ulyss size, but it's yeah. not easy for him to, to bend down and pick it up. So you you just got to know if you're the point guards feeding this guy, you're not going to get anything productive right. out of throwing throwing the ball at his feet. Uh, yeah. You know, this is not a Steve Nash, Amari Stoudemire situation. DeAndre Ayton yeah. is a great finisher, but his hands, they're not, They're you know, they're just not the best hands I've ever seen. Keeping it high, even if it's a little bit higher, I like how EJ points this out on the broadcast as well. Even if it's a little bit higher than normal, he's got to go get it. You want him to go get it, establish his aggression early in the game, and that's how you're going to pay dividends.
1: Yeah, I agree with that. Yeah, not everyone has Kawhi Leonard-sized hands.
0: The economy is made up of real people doing real stuff, and it affects everything, which you obviously know since you're a real person doing real stuff. Marketplace is here to help you get smart about everything beyond the what of the day's business and economic news, We dig into the how and the why with the real people driving our economy. From big tech and interest rates to small businesses and what's happening at the Fed, Marketplace breaks it all down so you don't have to. Listen to Marketplace wherever you get your podcasts.
1: All right, next one for me. We talked about Chris Paul picking it up, playing a lot better lately, but I wanted to specifically talk about the stretch where Devin Booker did not play because this was very important for the Suns. There were four games that Devin Booker didn't play. In those four games, Chris Paul averaged 23.8 points per game, 8.5 assists, five rebounds. The Suns went two and two. Now, that's very important and all very good. The shooting splits were also pretty good. Uh, Still only like 33% from three, but that's what he does. Devin Booker missed three games last season with the Suns. How many games do you think the Suns won that Devin Booker didn't play last season? I'm going to go with zero. That's correct. Lock it in. uh, (laughs) They lost zero. Here's an interesting stat from those games. One of the losses was by one. The other one was by two points. uh, In those games that Devin Booker missed last season. Uh, Sounds like a reason to go out and get Chris Paul. Devin Booker missed 18 games in the previous season. Uh, the season before Ricky. Do you want me to guess again? Yeah, do you want to guess how many (laughs) games did the Suns win in those 18 games? Let's say like 2 and 16. Very close. It was 4 and 14. Okay, okay. Yeah. So, I feel like at a point I bet Josh we,
3: Jackson led us to one of those wins, right?
1: Probably, like some bullshit uh, thirty-five point game yeah, that we yeah. spammed on Reddit hey, afterwards. Hey, he did so, it every once in a while, and it was yeah. when he did it. It was fun to watch. Some uh, of my
3: old takes, I exposed myself recently. Just a quick aside on on some of my. I'm very thankful that I created my Twitter account when I did, because if you look deep into the vicissitudes of like my old Reddit profile, my Josh Jackson takes, man. Yeah, After those I, wins, really bad, really bad, really cringe worthy.
1: I remember, I remember uh, uh, for those who've been listening to this podcast a while, in that first year that we had the podcast, about maybe six or seven months into the podcast, uh, I we had an intervention episode where we did an yeah, intervention was, on Josh yep. Jackson. Yeah, and uh, you know, I wrote a letter to Suns fans and I read it out loud. We had some music playing, basically addressing our uh, fandom of Josh Jackson and addressing the fact that I don't think it was going to work out for Josh Jackson. And it's funny, most fans like that, but I remember we got a comment on Reddit that was like, Hey, really good episode. Except that intervention part. Don't ever do that again. (laughs) (laughs) To his credit. We haven't. (laughs) You know we haven't, yeah. But But we we might. Hopefully we don't have to. to. Yeah. Uh, You know I don't want to do a Jalen Smith intervention at the end of next year. I hope that doesn't happen. Well, you know Um, the sad
3: thing about Jalen Smith is I'm giving him a chance, but it it kind of feels like the entire Suns fan base is already at the acceptance stage of moving
1: on. Well, yeah, (laughs) which
3: is sad to say. Like a lot of people have already written written that off.
1: It's Halliburton, and you know to an extent, Desmond Bain. Those guys were going to be better than Jalen Smith early, no matter what, even at the best like outcome for Jalen Smith. Uh, yeah, but I, I, I always wait a little longer for draft picks. Um, But yeah, I mean, Halliburton's been great. Hopefully you don't have any Jalen Smith stats I'm stepping on. Uh, no. But Chris Paul, speaking of not giving up, there was a point, I think, with Chris Paul early on where people were saying even Ricky Rubio was better than this, which was not ever true, I think, for the <laughs> record. <laughs> with Chris Paul, as good as Ricky Rubio was, But there was just a, a, when Devin Booker went out, Chris Paul made a statement to a lot of Suns fans where I watched a lot of Chris Paul before this season, whether whether it was OKC or Houston, I I love those Houston teams that he was on. I know you watched a lot of Chris Paul, but I think there were some Suns fans that didn't. So they didn't quite know the extent to which Chris Paul can abuse other teams' defenses. And we saw it in that stretch without Devin Booker, and I wanted to highlight exactly why you trade for a guy like Chris Paul and how good he can be in stretches and how important that is for this team going forward by highlighting those stats.
3: How about that, that Dallas game as the, do you remember that one? The, the xenophobic terrorism he committed on Chris Stapp's Porzingis (laughs) every time he drew a a switch. I mean, Jesus Christ. Like I, yeah, you're right. I think a lot of Suns fans and, and you know, Suns fans, Many Suns fans have watched Chris Paul for many years because he's always been in the playoffs. But I do think uh the reason stats are helpful, honestly, is like just from the eye test, you might be like, okay, you know, Chris Paul's a good mid-range shooter, Devin Booker's a good mid-range shooter. But like, no, Devin Booker's a good mid-range shooter. Chris Paul is the greatest mid-range shooter of his generation and and yeah. one of the best of all time. Like, yeah. we knew Kevin that. Kevin Durant this him guy, and Kevin Durant. Right. Well, we knew that once this guy got to his spots got into a rhythm it would be game over and he could carry you for entire fourth quarters and yeah we we saw exactly that over over this most recent stretch
1: yeah I thought it was especially interesting that uh, a couple of those losses last season were very close because those are the types of games that if it was Chris Paul without Devin Booker the Suns probably would have won those games and hopefully there's not a lot of time where neither of these guys are on the court uh, or either of them are off the court at any point for the rest of the season. But we saw another one tonight. Uh, but I think it just shows having multiple stars is better than just having one star. Maybe there will be even three or four by the end of the season based on how well some of the other guys are playing. But what's your next stat?
3: Uh, well, I just, it's more of an addendum to what you just said, I guess. Chris Paul, uh, just kind of as an aside, ninth in clutch points this season, and I think this is a stat that was brought up in, in broadcast before, so this one might not be so foreign to people, but he's ninth in the entire league in clutch points. I think that's really impressive for a guy who's only averaging 16, 17 points per game. You know, he's not out here. The NBA is in in, in a great—part of it, to be fair, the Suns have played a lot of close games. you got to play a close game to, to rack up clutch yeah. statistics. You know, right. Brad, Bradley Beal is averaging 35 points per game. Doesn't matter if his team's losing by 35 <laughs> by the third quarter. Um, but just credit to Chris Paul for once the Suns do get into those clutch situations. He has been the one who has taken more field goal attempts than Devin Booker thus far, and I'm operating under the NBA's website's uh, definition of clutch, which in case you're not aware, is the last five minutes of the game and the score's within five points. Um, So that's, that's what they count as clutch. So Devin Booker, I think, has had a lot of the game winners. He's had all the game winners so far, um and the last second shots and and you know the stuff that gets on highlight reels but who's carrying the Suns uh with with that momentum you know when there's like 4 minutes left in the fourth quarter or 3 minutes left in the fourth quarter a lot of those big shots have come from Chris Paul and he's shooting 44% on them which might not seem like a lot but honestly clutch um once it gets to clutch time and you're exclusively dealing with basically only half court offenses, yeah, uh, you, lots of you, isolations. You tend to see a lot of isolation. You tend to see those field goal percentages uh, dip quite a bit. So for him to still be shooting 44%, uh, very yeah. good. Very good stuff from, from the point guard.
1: Yeah, it's exactly as advertised, basically. And the Suns have played a lot of close games for a long time. <laughs> it happened last season, too. That's why you know the suns probably would have made the playoffs if they just won a couple of those close games you know a couple of them stick out in my mind uh, just when i think about last season the denver one specifically but yeah it's it's exactly what the suns needed he was he he was what the suns needed and he's been really good and i hope he's back on the court uh really soon and i really have nothing to add to what you said i think it was perfectly stated there
3: yeah and it's just kind of a like i said a continuation of the conversation we were already having about this guy, he's just been, he's been really good. Um, I think he, I'll be honest with you. I haven't actually been voting for all star. Is that bad? Should no, I be voting? I, don't,
1: I always don't. I don't really do it either. Should I, should <laughs> I vote? for just bad about it.
3: All star every day. I don't know. Uh, well, Chris Paul deserves to be an all star. Um, we encourage and, you.
1: Look, we're doing a lot more by encourage, encouraging people to, that <laughs> listen to this podcast to vote than uh, if we did it just by ourselves.
3: Look, I would encourage all of you guys to vote for vote with your heart, not your brain. Um, <laughs> I so you know that like you know if you want to vote Langston Galloway for all-star by all means yeah. go ahead I love that dude by the way Mike we're getting on a lot of sidetrack conversations here today yeah, that's I guess that's what, that's what, what, what we do that's what happens when you don't plan a lot of structure in your episode we haven't had and now I'm kicking myself because I haven't haven't brought up any stats on him we haven't had the great Langston Galloway versus Abdel Nader debate <laughs> of 2021, which I feel like we're on opposite sides of the debate. So we do need to do that
1: at some point. We're really not. We'll plan it out for next week. (laughs) We're really not on opposite sides of it. Here's what I think. They both should get minutes and they, I think they functionally play a different position. So I think they can both get minutes. So that's kind of where I fall on that debate, I guess.
3: Yeah, I guess I agree with that. Uh, Look, Langston's like, he's a He's a human cigar right now. I mean, he's shooting yeah. like 60%. He's shooting 50% from deep. He's shooting like 60% on wide open threes.
1: I'll say this. Not playing against Denver made a lot of sense to me because the guards were killing us in that game. And if you put Langston on one of them, it's not going to really slow him down. But sure. maybe the offense is good enough to 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 counteract that. But I think to an extent, playing Abdul Nader in that game and trying to give him a game where he gets enough minutes to get into his right rhythm made sense and he played really well uh, after that so he
3: does some stuff really well i mean i like his aggression i like the the way he attacks the basket um i do like though just that etuan this applies to etuan too both him and galloway they're not you know they don't get to the free throw line but they do attack closeouts and so there's a distinction there you know like uh, obviously you would like it if those guys could just draw some contact and get to the free throw line and they just can't do that but they're not just spot-up shooters. And we've known that all along. But like, you really see it when you watch both of them play. They yeah. attack in point .5 just the way anyone else on this roster does. Um, so I'm glad they, both of them really have been able to step up so much in, in the past couple weeks.
1: All right, I got another stat for you. Go for it. M- Mikael Bridges. I mean, we've been uh, sort of jerking off to Mikael Bridges all season. <laughs> <laughs> and rightfully so, he's been incredible. But I do want to bring up a stat. Now, this is before today, which he had a great game today. A very important uh, clutch game for him. Um, but first 10 games of the season, he's averaging 15 points, 49, 46, 88 shooting splits. So 49 from the field, 46 from three, 88% from the free throw line. The 12 games since then before tonight, 13 points per game, 47% shooting, 28% from the three point line, 78% shooting splits. Now I don't want to concern Troll for Mikhail Bridges because I don't think this is a an issue but I, I, I do think that we had to bring it up as much as we praise him for as good as he's doing and Mikhail Bridges is so good at everything else that he can have stretches like this where he's struggling from the three-point line and he's still really good because he can find ways to cut to the rim and he's guarding the best player on the other team almost every single night unless it's DeAndre Ayton's job really uh, to guard that that best guy so I just wanted to bring it up because I feel like it's something that we need to talk about because we, we tend to praise him a lot what do you think? I'm not worried about him at all. The thing I love about Mikhail so much is that
3: other ga- um other parts of his game open up when the shot isn't falling. Uh, we've seen him cut increasingly since Frank entered the starting lineup. He's been really good there. Um and especially after I made a comment a few weeks ago again on that episode with Jackson or or maybe it was the one with Dan. I was like, "Why isn't Mikhail cutting this year?" Sure enough, uh you know, they run him off the line a little bit or the shot yeah. stops falling. It's back. He's he didn't lose it. It's yeah. still in his repertoire. He's, Credit to he, Frank. You know what's a crazy stat about Mikhail too? I actually just looked this up, and, and sorry yeah. if we're throwing too many stats <laughs> at you guys <laughs> today. What this Hope, episode's for? Hopefully you retain some of them. But you know, the Suns, despite being like the slowest team ever or whatever, he's averaging more transition possessions per game than last year. I just confirmed this, and right. I think that's really interesting. He's in the 85th percentile in transition. The reason I looked it up is because there were a couple of dunks today that made you go wow from him. Like aggression that we haven't seen from him. So again, even when the shot isn't necessarily falling, he's finding ways to be aggressive. You know what it might be with the transition is just like in the absence of Kelly Oubre, who's going to be the guy to just get out and run and and find the the lane has to be Mikael Bridges because there's not really anyone else to do it. You know, Cam Johnson will yeah, Cam Johnson will leak out and he'll kind of find his way to the wing or the corner, but that's different. Mikael is is trying to put pressure on the rim; he has to be that guy. So he's still very good in transition. Um, And also, you know what's interesting about him? We're starting to see more games out of him with three or four or five assists. In fact, tonight he had five assists and zero turnovers. And it's never like, you know, impeccable passing. You know, it's not like fancy passing that's gonna find its way onto highlight reels, but it's just making the simple read and, and doing it without giving the other team an extra possession. He does that very well, and we knew it was gonna come eventually, and it's coming now. So I have absolutely nothing negative to say about Mikael Bridges. Uh, that yeah. shouldn't shock anyone. Uh, I Yeah, I think he's doing totally fine.
1: Yeah. I mean, I, I, it sucks. I think he missed 14 or 15 in a row. Well, recently. also, have I, uh,
3: let me quickly, those who follow me on Twitter know I've been talking about uh, a theorem.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's right. You should pitch that. <laughs> uh, this is, I'm sure there's a lot of people listen to this that don't even have Twitter, so.
3: No, that's true. Uh, well, I posted it on Reddit, too. It was actually a top post on Our Sons the other day. But um, Bridges Law, I was calling it, I'd like to revise it now. Because it was wrong again today, (laughs) and and what what I said a few days ago was this was what do you mean? I may have broke. I may have brought it up. Well, that that would be just my luck. Uh, Before I discovered this stat, it was true that you could predict a Suns game with seventy five percent accuracy based on one fact alone. Does McHale Bridges make his first three point attempt of the night? or does he miss it if he made it this was a few games ago if he made it at the time the suns were like seven and one if he missed it at the time they were i think four and eight so you add up the the number of times that the theorem got it right the theorem got it wrong you could predict it with uh the the outcome of the game was 75 percent accuracy just based on one single three-point attempt now on its face it doesn't seem like that would make much sense uh, and and honestly, it still might not make much sense. However, I think you look a little bit deeper into it, and you can see the justification for it is Mikhail has been the X factor all season long. When he plays well, the suns win. When he doesn't play well, the suns lose. Yeah, because more That's on, a probably
1: mean, a better way to simplify it there.
3: I mean, I, you know, truthfully, Mike, that's the reason I looked it up in the first place. That's the basic right. logic. And I know that's not exactly groundbreaking analysis there, but it's just with <laughs> the Suns being as heavily reliant on three-point shooting as they are this year, they need Mikhail Bridges to hit his shots. That much is true. Now, the revision I would like to make to Bridges' law is I would like to toss out the second half of it that says when he, when he misses the shot, they'll lose because he missed the shot in two games since then and they won both games. However, I'm keeping the part I'm keeping the part because it's still true. When Mikhail Bridges and, and watch out for this and hold me to it, not a hundred percent accurate, but your vaccines aren't a hundred percent accurate either. <laughs> so I think I have I think I have the right here to say the efficacy doesn't have to be at a hundred percent. Yeah. Uh when Mikhail Bridges hits the first three of the game, not the first three of the game, his first three point attempt of the of the game, the Suns are eight and one. They're still eight and one. So watch out for it. If he misses, it doesn't mean anything. <laughs> But if he ma- if he makes it, the Suns—it's a good sign. The Suns damn well better win the game, or my name isn't isn't Sam Cooper, Mikhail right. Bridges' number one fan on the internet. So <laughs> that is Bridges' law now, and now you're aware that is what Bridges' law is: make the shot, win the game.
1: I like it. I like it. A new one was introduced to the to the uh, Twitter timeline today too which is that Cam Johnson only makes three-pointers when uh, when it gives the Suns the lead, which happened, I think he only made two today. And, and they of them, were both. Yep. Yeah, both of them gave the Suns the lead. I don't want this to be real, no. but I noticed it in the last game. I believe it happened in the last game twice as well, uh, so it's just kind of funny that that happened. I hope he continues to just make them at like a 40 to 45% rate, which is feels more normal. He's been struggling a little bit. I don't have stats on him, uh, but hopefully he continues to make them more regularly. What, what else do you have? you have another stat?
3: Uh, you want to you want to bring back the Frank Kaminsky conversation?
1: Yeah, we both have a Frank stat. We we covered yeah. that. We talked to each other about that. So uh, yeah, bring it back.
3: So Frank Kaminsky leads the Suns. This is this was going into tonight. These stats they're from Basketball Reference. They don't update until tomorrow morning, but I think I suspect it's still true. He went into tonight's game leading the Suns in BPM box plus minus. Um, now to explain what that is for those who don't know box plus minus has nothing to do with a traditional box score and the plus minus that you'd find it's an advanced stat offered from basketball reference if you've heard us talk about vorp before it's very similar to vorp the only difference is that bpm is a per minute stat it's you have you can have a great bpm even if you've only played 10 minutes in a season whereas vorp is a cumulative stat Uh, What VORP does basically is it takes your BPM and it multiplies it by the number of minutes you've played. So someone can only have a great VORP if they've played, or a really bad VORP, depending on how good they are, um, if they've played, you know, a lot of minutes. But for someone like Frank Kaminsky, BPM is more useful. What this advanced stat is saying, the types of things that this advanced stat likes, if you have good shooting efficiency, if you get a lot of assists without committing a lot of turnovers, um, it really likes rebounding. It's it's a stat that typically rewards bigs for for rebounding, possibly more than it should. But then the other thing that it does is it also builds into it uh, some some priors about uh, net rating. And so it you know it never wants this is meant to be an individual advanced stat. It never wants to give any one player all of the credit for an entire five man lineup playing really well. But it takes together the aggregate of all of your lineups. And if if you're typically in more good lineups than you are in bad lineups, then it assigns some weight to that in addition to all the box score stuff that you do. So the point is, Frank Kaminsky leads the Suns in this stat, which says that, you know, it doesn't say that he's been... Says something. Well, it says something. Let's talk about what it says, because because the the takeaway here shouldn't be Frank Kaminsky well, me, has been the best player. Let me in the add Seals. mine. Let me sure. Add mine. You add yours first, and then and yeah. let's talk about what it means after.
1: It's very similar. We came to this we came to this conclusion to talk about Frank Kaminsky completely separately, but mine is Frank Kaminsky has a higher net rating than Devin Booker, Chris Paul, DeAndre and Mikhail Bridges, the surprising one, and Jay Crowder, and this is by the way. Uh, The net rating stats were all over the place early this season, which is what happens. We called it small sample size theater when we did it after 10 games, and it's a little more like the lineup stats, the net rating stats, I think matter a little bit more now that we're past 20 games. That's pretty significant sample size for an NBA season. Things don't change super dramatically after that, but that's still pretty surprising, and what that means, just to quickly explain it, is the Suns are good. When Frank Kaminsky's on the floor <laughs> this season. I mean that's as simple as it gets to now, to say that
3: there's different but there's different ways where it gets interesting. Frank Kaminsky now is a power forward. Before he was a center.
1: Yeah. Uh
3: so far the net ratings have been good regardless of what position he plays, but but you know, you start fixating on little sample sizes of him playing here or there, that's when you get bogged down into into some weird mathematics and things can the go que- wrong the pretty quickly.
1: Boils down to and I want to ask you. Is Frank Kaminsky good this season? Yeah, well, so that's what I want to address. <laughs> what do we take? Because because a lot of people, people who
3: aren't, you know, math people necessarily, they're going to take a stat like that and they're going to see, you know, Frank Kaminsky leads the Suns at BPM. They're going to say, well, that's fucking stupid. I can see the game with my eyes. Obviously, he's not right. the best Suns player. You're <laughs> right. right. You're right. Yeah. If that's your takeaway, you're right. The The takeaway here isn't that, the, that Frank Kaminsky is the best player in the Suns. He's yeah. not. The takeaway is that the Suns got a player that they already had last year for a third of the price that they had him for last year. He's playing better, maximizing his minimal role. He's been uber-efficient with the limited shot opportunities he has. He's been uber-efficient at finding players for assists without committing turnovers. He's, I mean- gets to the line. I know he's a meme, and the reason I want to bring this up, again, it's not that Frank is the best player in the Suns, but it's that Frank is kind of the ideal role player right now, and I think it's about time that he deserves the respect on his name. Oh no. (laughs) That he, I mean, it's just, it's just true, and and I think honestly, you know, we're at the point where Darius Arch is coming back soon. Yeah, again, he suffered a setback with a sprained uh, sprained ankle. Before that, he had COVID. A lot of guys we're seeing around the league, they come back even after they're cleared to play because they've recovered from COVID. Supposedly, they're not the same, at least not instantly. Frank's good. Right now, man. I mean, like, there's there's a a significant chance, I think, that Dario, you put him back into the starting lineup. Dario Saric is a better player than Frank Kaminsky in the long yeah. run. Yeah. hundred percent. I, I believe that. I just put out, you know, a few weeks ago, put out that 10-minute video on Dario. Wouldn't have done all that work if I didn't think he was a great player and and, and great for the system that the Suns are trying to run. But in the short term, is Dario immediately going to be better than uh, what Frank is giving the Suns right now? No, not necessarily, because Frank has actually been good. Yeah, I mean he could be but but I'm saying it's just not a given because Frank has actually been really good. There are a lot of memes out there. There's a lot of jokes, but <laughs> but you know what? He's been good and I'm not afraid to say it and I know some of you out there aren't aren't afraid to admit it either. Frank yeah. Kaminsky has been good. They were they were a chance in the arena tonight for Frank, Frank the, the Tank, Tank. after yeah. Javel McGee got ejected in the early fourth quarter and it is it is about time that we paid some respect. Uh yeah. honestly, that's 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 all this boils down to.
1: I am at the point where I look forward to Frank Kaminsky minutes. <laughs> is, I didn't that's even a go confession. that far. <laughs> I feel like that's a confession from me now because he does things that are kind of fun to watch. He went behind his back on JaVale McGee, spun around his, his right shoulder and hit a hook shot in JaVale McGee's face, which eventually led to, by the way, later in the game, JaVale McGee getting so angry at Frank Kaminsky that he was ejected from the game. A player getting ejected from Frank Kaminsky (laughs) making you mad is hilarious on its own. But a highlight of him going behind his back is just objectively fun. And his ability to find Mikhail Bridges on those cuts is also fun. They they clearly play a little... There was a play in the last game against Boston where they passed back and forth to each other four or five times before Mikhail Bridges found found a shot at the rim that went in. Or it was a, a Frank Kaminsky three, one or the other. His effectiveness will go down if he stops making the three-pointer, especially in the lineups that he's playing with DeAndre Ayton, which can easily happen at some point. But he has found ways, and this is credit to Monty for trusting him in the way that they trusted Dario Saric. He has found ways to be effective beyond just the three-pointer falling, which is what he was doing last year. And I give him credit there. Even his defense, for as bad as it can look at times, is still better than it was last season. And I think, you know, he deserves credit for the work that he put in. And that the team deserves credit for putting him in the right position to be successful. And I think at this point, even when Saraj comes back, I think they have to find a way to play both of them if it works. Which I think it might because they're both so good at moving the ball at this point. There could be some interesting minutes with both of those guys on the floor uh, going forward. But yeah, I don't know. I'm surprised as anyone that we're talking about this. Well, broadly speaking... The Suns have a lot of guys on like minimum contracts who
3: aren't going to be back next year, but every single one of them is an NBA player, except maybe one guy. Yeah, <laughs> I'm not gonna not gonna throw him to the bus. But uh, other than him, I think everyone's in. You know, I don't know if the Suns are going to bring Langston Galloway back. I don't know if they're going to bring Antoine Moore back. I don't know if they're going to bring Kaminsky back. Far in the future. Far in the future. We're worried about the playoffs for now. Um, but these guys. They're fulfilling their roles. They're doing exactly what they were brought in to do. That next man up mentality. They step into the starting lineup when they have to, and they contribute. And uh, yeah, it's it's really refreshing to have a bench that just does not blow leads. It really does. It really doesn't blow leads and keeps the Suns in position. Often builds on leads, honestly, and keeps the Suns in position to to eke out close wins in the fourth quarter. Yeah,
1: you know, it's kind of funny. We talked about um, the Suns staggering the star players. Well, they did that today, but it was Frank Kaminsky and deandre Ayton, <laughs> somehow they 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 started two of their best bigs and found ways to keep basically one of them on the floor at all times damian jones only played two minutes i think of this game uh but it's just kind of funny that they're staggering frank kaminsky and deandre Ayton at this point they started you know, them together of, they ended the game together but they still both one of them was on the floor basically at all times
3: that just made me look it up Ayton played 38 minutes and 37 minutes and two nights yeah, how of about each one to
1: more like 40 minutes
3: basically. Jeez. Yeah. And he was good. Wow. He twon. He was like good. 40 minutes, man. He's a veteran, man. I've been saying, you know, a, a lot of it is well, it's kind of an interesting conversation about, you know what we never talked about. We talked about the starting lineup in reference to Frank starting, but we never really talked about um, Monty could have gone a lot of different ways tonight. Yeah. You know, it didn't yeah. have to be Etwan Moore, and Etwan Moore, what, wouldn't have been my choice? He played great. He played out of I his mind. I think he's
1: the best fit if you just look at those five players because Devin Booker clearly likes to play with another person capable of creating shots.
3: Yeah, I mean, yeah, I guess that's not Javon.
1: That's definitely not Javon. That his might be not
3: Javon struggling to even make his own now. Might be Langston. He can Langston's kind of do okay.
1: It. Not much of a passer, but. Yeah, yeah.
3: It's, it's just like, you know, what, I guess what it makes me think about Monty in, in trying to analyze exactly what his tendencies are is does he
1: have a— would you describe Monty Williams as having a lack of creativity or an abundance? At times, it's an abundance. I think just moving away from the starting lineup that was, you know, working at times and not working at others early enough in the season, to me showed a guy that was just uh, almost panicked a little bit. And just, it wasn't something I think that needed to happen. I think a lot, now looking back on it, it's something I was talking to you about online uh, privately, but I have come to the conclusion in my mind that it was more about putting uh, Cameron Johnson in the starting lineup to make Devin Booker more comfortable, closer to the lineups that worked in the bubble, because Devin Booker was struggling to get off at the beginning of the season. Obviously not something that Monty Williams is going to admit to publicly. He's not going to say, I made this change to help my star player get play better. But I think it was that I, I I absolutely think it had a little bit more to do with that try to make him more yeah. comfortable I don't think it I don't think that worked uh, in that way it's just more time playing with Chris Paul I think is what did it over time right but yeah I think there are times where he he makes moves that I would consider a little bit panicky but you know what I'm not an NBA coach I'm not there in the practices I'm not there in the film rooms and they see things that well, I don't so
3: yeah and and the more the more thing kind of just struck me as uh, interestingly traditionalist uh i mean obviously already starting two bigs together is traditionalist regardless of what frank can do for 0.5 but then when like Etwan Moore is already your backup point guard when he shouldn't be he's a shooting guard uh and then it was like chris paul went out so instead of defaulting to point book which monty very easily could have done and i don't know if it i don't know if it would have swung the result tonight i don't know if it would have been better or worse Etwan was great He, he really was um but yeah, I just, I, just, I just wonder about that. Like, I think a lot of Suns fans would have liked to see Point Book tonight, and I thought it was interesting how Monty relied on just taking the next closest thing to a point guard he could find and, and shoving it in there next to Booker instead.
1: Yeah. All right, I got another one. Let's see.
3: I'm out, so whatever you got left is okay. what we got.
1: Uh, the Phoenix Suns pace... For the first 10 games, pace, by the way, is measured per 48 minutes. It's it's basically the amount of possessions you have in an average game. 97.35 in the first 10 games. That was around the time that Monty Williams said that they need to make an effort to speed it up a little bit. Uh, the pace since then, <laughs> 97.62. Almost exactly the same. Almost a little bit. Almost exactly the well, same. Well, they sped it up a little bit. A tiny, basically a third of a possession faster in that time but it's not really bothering me that much well it wouldn't
3: it wouldn't bother you when you win games when you win games yeah it wouldn't bother you when you win games and it wouldn't bother you because the entire time guys we've known about they're in the long haul here when i talk about the long haul i'm not talking about five years from now i'm talking about the playoffs this year uh that was the strategy is give booker and cp3 a few months to mesh maybe it's going to lead to some early season losses that lead to sun's twitter meltdowns but uh, it, it's going to make you a stronger team, theoretically, in the playoffs when all teams are trying to rely on that brand of basketball. That was always, yeah. that was always the plan. We 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 knew the plan going mm-hmm. into it. So again, we shouldn't be surprised.
1: Yeah, there are times where I feel like they could speed it up, but but I think that pace sure. can be pace can be a little bit deceiving. Uh, one of the things that I think this team has gotten pretty good at is making six or seven or eight passes in a single possession to find the right shot, even if that shot is coming with a few seconds left on the shot clock. And that that generally slows down your pace as well. It's not just necessarily about walking the ball up. It's about taking the time to find the right shot, and they're willing to do right. that. A lot of the reason that the pace is slowed down to what it is at is that Chris Paul's willing to walk the ball up as slowly as possible and uh, get a, get a screen with 15 seconds left on the shot clock and then move the ball a few times to get the right shot. That's the main reason it's as slow as it is. But so far, so good. I think they're finding the right balance of, of ways to do it right. The right guys are getting transition buckets. You talked about Mikhail Bridges being one of those guys. Devin Booker needs to find ways to attack a little bit more on that on off transition. But in a way, and, Hayden, Hayden's and Hayden's the big and guy too. I look at with that stuff yeah. too. When he's yeah, running the he's floor, he's run. dangerous. He's gotta Just because
3: it's such, it's such, like not that he should be leading the league in transition possessions or anything but it's just when no. he does it we know he's dangerous so yeah we should guys who to dribble
1: more tend to lead the league in transition points it'd be tough right. for you know somebody has to get him the ball ultimately that means exactly that, that onus falls onto someone else uh, but you know it's 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 gotten i would prefer that they were a little bit faster i think they're they're like 27th or 28th in the league right now in pace but i do think that they are when the playoffs begin they're going to be one of the teams that is prepared more for that style of play than other teams are and, and that's probably going to be good for them in the long run. But do you have any other thoughts on that?
3: No, I I think uh, I'm feeling pretty comfortable with it. But, you know, I think it's easy to feel comfortable with it when you're 14-9 to nine and you've won six of your yeah. last seven. Yeah, that's and thought, the last
1: stat, right? The Suns are 14-9. <laughs> yeah.
3: I, well, I thought it was funny what Zach Lowe said on his most recent podcast. He had Kevin Pelton on and maybe it wasn't his most recent podcast anymore. It was last week um and he they talked about the suns and he said you know it kind of feels like in the western conference right now every team is two games away from disaster so the suns got the bucks and the sixers coming up and <laughs> if they don't get some uh, important key pieces back into that rotation talk to me after the uh talk to me after the next two games
1: yeah that's right bucks on wednesday we might do a podcast after that one, depending on how it goes. Uh, 76ers on Saturday. And there's fans in the building now. I think those are. I think there's home games for the next four games. So yeah. that could help a little bit, I think, for some of those games. Shout out to the Suns fans that are willing to go there. You're brave. Uh, but a good stretch for the Suns. It's nice to come on and talk about the Suns after... I mean, they've won six of the last seven games. They're fourteen and nine, solidly. Well, I guess you could say solidly fourth in the Western Conference. I will say the Spurs are fourteen and ten, and they just—they're playing really well. The Spurs are four. The what? Yeah. What? Beat, I haven't checked I, the standings in a few days. That they're what? They're fourteen and ten. They just beat the, They just beat the Warriors tonight. Holy and shit. And I believe that got him to I mean, unless something I'm looking at is wrong, but I'm looking at NBA. Oh, no, you're so. right. And the
3: Blazers <laughs> are twelve and ten and the Kings yeah, are I everyone's hate. Everyone's right there. I hate this it, conference so much. Yeah,
1: I mean it's fascinating to see the Jazz at 19 and 5 like Dude, like growing. how
3: funny is it the Thunder or like everyone was like, Yeah, this team's gonna tank, they're gonna be so awful. And they are bad. They are bad. But they're ten and thirteen.
1: Yeah, can go on a five game win streak and be in the playoffs.
3: Ten and thirteen is like what the Suns were this time last year, (laughs) and we thought we were competing. That's the fourteenth seed in the Western Conference. Yeah, it's just it's just uh,
1: it's incessant. It's a wild ride in In a way every year. (laughs) Part of me, other other than like the Timberwolves, part of me feels like the and the Jazz, the Lakers, and the Clippers. Part of me feels like the entire league is like on a path to be 36 and 36 by the end of the season. This <laughs> just going to be every team won half of their games, and, and it's all going to be about tiebreakers. Uh, but yeah, it's been a fascinating season. The Suns are playing well, and hopefully they get everyone back healthy soon. Like One of the stats I had was Dario Saric has only played seven games, and that just yeah. sucks. Like, I need, want to see more Dario Saric. They need someone someone against Milwaukee. I don't know if it's going to be Cam or
3: Saric or Jay? Crowder or, yeah. or Paul. They, we need... A reinforcement, please.
1: <laughs> yeah, Chris Paul is, I think, obviously, the most important of those guys, but Jay Crowder wouldn't hurt. But we'll be back soon to talk about, hopefully, some more wins. Thanks for sticking around. Sam, I like these episodes. I like these stat episodes. We'll, how about how about we commit to doing one after the halfway point of the season, another one of these?
3: I'll wait to see what the people say about it, um, but I'm with it. <laughs> In All theory, right, you know, good. I'm always happy to talk about numbers. So, um, ho- again, hopefully, you know, I think we try to recognize that not everyone out there is, is a numbers person. So, you know, if, if you have a problem with the way we're explaining things, um, if maybe we could be a little bit more clear about it, then reach out and let us know. And, you know, we're open to constructive criticism and yeah, I hopefully this episode worked for you guys. Let us know.
1: We'll be back soon.
0: Booker for the win. Yes! But 1.5 on the clock. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history, relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings.